Well, if you want to open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 8. Just before we read, by way of review, we're in the process of working through what the Bible teaches on worship and not doing it in a systematic way, but just as the, the Bible is laid out. We started in Genesis 4 and we, t- we talked about Cain and Abel and we talked about the privilege of worship, about the highlighting of how horrible it would be for God to say when you bring an offering to Him, I don't want that, I reject that. And how wonderful, on the other hand, it would be to hear God accept your worship. We talked about the need for a pure offering and a pure offerer and how God did not just reject Cain's offering, but he rejected Cain and his offering. He rejected the man and his gift. And for Abel, he he accepted Abel and his offering. And so we talked about how Jesus Christ is the only one who can go to God for us, the pure offerer and the pure offering. He's the priest and he's the lamb. And we can't worship God acceptably apart from that because we aren't a pure offerer and we don't have a pure offering. And we talked about how Abel was just a foreshadow, that his blood cried out from the ground for judgment, but we have a better Abel whose blood cries out for mercy. And so all that is worship in Genesis 4, and now we're moving on. And Lord willing, today, going to try and cover the rest of Genesis. There's going to be a lot of flipping. But just talk about worship and what the Bible is teaching us about worship. So let's start here in Genesis 8, in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. If you want to turn with me, let's read one more passage here before we start talking about it. To Genesis 12. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, 
and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, at the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So let's stop right there. So today, Lord willing, the one point that I want to talk about is that worship is a response to the action of a living God. That worship is the response to the action of a living God. And we see this repeated throughout Genesis, but we can just begin to talk about it here in at least these first two passages, that this is so radical and this is so different than the rest of the world religions, really. That what we're saying is that we worship God. We come here to worship God, not to try and get God to do anything for us, not to try and get God to look at us and and be pleased with us, but because God has already come to us and God has already pleased with us through Christ. We're here because of God. Worship is not something we're trying to muster up in ourselves. Worship is a response to a living God. And so here Noah, think about Noah. What happened in Noah's life? God came and invaded his life. God was the initiator. God came and said, I'm going to flood the world. I want you to build an ark and I'll save you. And he did. And he, he built the ark. His family was saved. And what was Noah's response to God? Worship. He built an altar and he sacrificed some of every clean bird and animal on this altar. It's a response to God. God gave him something, showed him something of himself, gave him his life, saved him from the flood, provided him this way of escape, gave him these animals, and he comes back, and what does he want to do? He wants to give back in response to God's action, praise to God. You gave me my life. You gave me salvation. I want to come back and I want to give you some of these animals. They're only here because you gave them to me. They're only here because you warned me. I'm only here because you warned me. And I want to give an offering up. I want to give worship back to the God who invaded my life. And that's the case in all the Bible. And that's the case for all of us. We are responding to a living God who already acted. And it's the same with Abraham, isn't it? What happened to Abraham? The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country. God came to him. God spoke to him. God called him. And his response? Build an altar. I'm going to, build, I'm going to worship the God who invaded my life. I'm going to worship the God who's active. I'm going to worship the God who came to an imperfect person and said, I want, I want to know you. I want you to follow me. 
I want to give back something of all that God had given me. Just to highlight it, I want to read a little bit here by way of contrast from one of my favorite, I think my favorite author of books other than the Bible, Miss Howard Taylor. This is from Borden of Yale. And Borden was a little bit different, I'm assuming, uh, life than you and I grew up with. His parents were millionaires, and when he turned 16, they paid for him to take a year-long trip around the world with, with a private tutor. <laughs> and so it's actually really amazing to hear what this 16-year-old boy is learning and how he's looking at this whole trip through, what is God teaching me? What am I learning about God? And so he, at this time, is in India, and he's never, think about before the days of television, Think about, you've never seen what it's like, these other cultures, what they're doing. Uh, you maybe have heard about Hinduism, but you've, you don't know what an Indian person looks like. Maybe you've seen a picture, black and white. But he's seeing this, and he's reacting. And so, uh, he's, I'm just going to read this description. I think this one, Mrs. Howard Taylor, the, the biographer, put in. But this is a description of some of the worship there in India. So there's a, a woman who had this feeling, deep feeling of guilt, and so she determined to become this specific sect of Hinduism to try and relieve that. She, she would give three years to self-inflicted torture in the ways enjoined by the sacred books as pleasing to the gods, and this plan she carried out, though the sufferings she endured seem incredible. For one period of six months, she sat, she sat without shelter in the sun all day with five fires burning around her, the precipitation streaming from every pore. Even wealthy men would bring wood to keep the fires burning as an act of merit. Her body was smeared with ashes and her long hair with cow dung as an object of veneration to the pilgrims many of whom worshipped her as they fed the fires. At night she took her place in the temple, standing before the idol, actually standing on one foot with the other drawn up against it. From midnight until daylight, her hands pressed together in an attitude of prayer, imploring the God to reveal himself to her. And then to increase her sufferings, when the cold season came with frosty nights, she went down at dark to the sacred pond and sat with water up to her neck, counting her beads hour after hour till dawn appeared. Thus she called upon Ram, this particular God, day and night with no response. Quote, if thou art God, she used to plead, reveal thyself to me, reach forth and take the offering I bring. Let me see or hear or feel something by which I may know that I please thee and that my sin is pardoned. But there was no sign, no rest, no peace. When the years of her long endurance were ended, she went to Calcutta, cut off her once beautiful hair, threw it into the Ganges as an offering, exclaiming, quote, There I have done and suffered all that can be required of mortal man, yet without avail. She had lost faith in the idols and had ceased to worship them. Quote, there is nothing in Hinduism, end quote. 
or I would have found it. The conclusion was forced upon her. So there you have a description of the opposite of the Bible. All these things trying to get a response, trying to have your sins cleansed. Worship, the worship was to clear the guilt. The worship was to get God to reveal himself, to do something. And it's just the opposite of Genesis. God doesn't accept the worship of the guilty in Genesis. God says, I reject your worship. We've got to come to God cleansed before we can start acceptably worshiping through Jesus. We're not here today to try and cleanse our sins, are we? We didn't sing those songs to try and get rid of the guilt. We sang the the songs as a response. What did it say? Oh, the sin. Somebody finish that for me. Oh, the blessed thought. The bliss of the thought. My sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. We're singing out of a response to God. We don't have to, we're not begging God, God, I need to know you're real. God, please come near. I, I just want to see something. We're saying, God, thank you so much you are real. Thank you so much you have come near. Thank you so much I'm not guilty anymore. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much you have revealed yourself. You've come and you've done it better than we could ever ask. God became a man. Praise the Lord. Our response to a living God, totally different. Filled with hope, isn't it? Not despair, not desperation. Joy in the fact that we do know and we can know God. So here in Genesis we see this pattern. The pattern begins with a living God who acts. He acts in different ways. Salvation. That's what he did for for Noah, right? He saved him. He saved his life from the flood, from the wrath of God. We see not only that, but revelation. God acts, he reveals himself. What's the response when God comes and he shows us who he is? Let's read it. Let's read a couple more here from Genesis. Genesis 13. If you don't want to turn, I'm going to read quite a few, but you can if you want. Genesis 13, 3. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Jump down Genesis thirteen seventeen. Well, let's scoot back a little bit. 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Then I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent, and he came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, 
which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's jump again. Genesis 17, 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face. Let's stop right there. We see this God, that living God, coming in salvation, saving, coming and revealing Himself. We, we can worship God not because we've mustered up, because we've figured it out, but because God came and told us who He is. Here's who I am. This is what I'm like. And that's the reason we get to worship is because of the re- revelation of the living God. It's always a response. We're not guessing who God is. We're not trying to ascend up to heaven and figure out who God is. We're responding to the action of living God. One of the things he does is shows us who he is. Here I am, God Almighty. So that's the action of God. The one point we had today is that worship is a response to the living God. Right? So we see this, the action of God, and what always happens when God comes over and over and over in these stories. When God enters in, invades a life, and shows himself, they worship, they fall on their face, they build an altar, they return and give God thanks. Thank you, God, for who you are. We want to return and and give you back a gift. We want to show you, we want to tell you how great you are. We see here the incredible importance of worship to God, don't we? God's going to sum up your 180 year long life. How's He going to do it? Repeatedly bringing up the times when He met with you and you worshiped. And He met with you and you worshiped. And he, the, some of the stories, I, I don't understand why they're in there. You know, the stories that seem like surely something really important has happened in a 180 year life. They tell this story, you know, about a well, and somebody comes and they take the well. Why is that in there? Well, in the end, what happens? He builds an altar, and he worships. Thank you, God. It's amazing. You see the pattern? You see the importance? What a few pages given to a life, and God includes repeatedly over and over. Worship, worship worship it's important to God one other point here I'm jumping back a tad but notice I'm going to read you this phrase I hope you noticed it the very first passage you read from Noah says when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma what, why did God include all these re- repeated passages of God coming and then them worshiping? It pleases Him. That's what He said. He smelled that sacrifice and He, and it, 
he felt pleased. That's amazing. The Almighty God, Almighty God, who spoke the world into existence. You know, just our galaxy, you know, the Milky Way galaxy, takes 50,000 years for light to go across it. At the speed of light, you know, it's huge. And it's just one of many galaxies. The Almighty God who just spoke that into existence, he hears like little tiny human beings singing songs that are so imperfect, I'm sure. Can you imagine the angels singing? And God, Almighty God, looks down and he, in his heart something happens and he's pleased. I'm pleased. That's pleasing to me. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Almighty God is pleased by our worship when we respond to Him. It's unreal. It's really remarkable. Let's read a couple more of these. There's so many in Genesis and we're just skimmings over them. But I'm going to read from Genesis 24, verse 26. This is a story where, you know, God's promised Abraham a descendant. Isaac's already born. Now, Isaac needs a wife if he's going to have descendants. And so, Abraham sends his servant, and God provides. God opens the door. God does a miracle, basically. And this guy who's on this mission prays for a sign. God gives him. Uh, a sign and he realizes God's with me. This is I'm on the right path and this is what he says. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, "Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master." Let's keep going and read a couple more here. Genesis 26, 23. Genesis 26, 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servants Abraham's sake. What's his response? God came to him. God appeared to him. What's his response? He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. There's, there's the pattern over and over and over. God reveals his character, his purpose. He reveals his presence. He reveals who he is. He does something. He provides. He protects he creates, He saves. He, whatever God is doing, the response is worship. Worship God. Well, I trust that these are saying what needs to be said better than I can say it. So let's just jump to Genesis 28 here as well. Verse 10, this is Jacob now. We've done Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and here's Jacob. 
28.10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed, the ni- stayed there the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And he be- and he and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it, the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, quote, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, let's see, what's Jacob going to do? God has come down, invaded his life. He's fleeing from his brother. He's just committed you know, this act of deception to steal the brother's birthright. And who comes and invades? God. And what is he going to do? He's, he's afraid. He's afraid of the Almighty God being there with him. So early in the morning, verse 18 Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called that, the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. He worshipped. He set up this pillar. He poured out oil on top of it as an offering to the God who met with him. Matthew Henry says, the more we see of God, the more cause we shall see to worship Him with reverence and godly fear. The more times God shows Himself to us, the more reason we have to fear and worship God. What a wonderful meeting with God. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I won't leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Here he's revealing his presence, isn't he? That's what Jacob said. God was here and I didn't know it. When the presence of God invades the place, what's the response? You worship God. You worship. Well, let's talk for a second about us now. I mean, there's so many more. We've just begun, really. We could keep going. I might just read a couple of these. Then she conceived and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Jacob came to safety to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan on his way from Padan Aram and camped before the city. And the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, which he brought, bought for a hundred pieces of the money, for a hundred pieces of money, the piece of land on which he would pitch his tent, and there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. 
And I'm just jumping around. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to all his household, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So over and over and over, this same pattern. I don't know how many times you've read it. I probably should have counted. Ten times? This is what God wants us to hear repeatedly. So what about us? What about us? We want to be like this, don't we? We want this to be the pattern of our life. We don't want God to respond. God to, we don't want God to reveal himself, to save us, to give us gifts, to promise things to us, to accomplish those promises without making sure that we respond. We don't want to leave it. The, the phone ringing, you know. Somebody calls, you pick up, and you say, hello, you know. They take an action and you respond to the action. We don't want in the same way God to come with gifts to us, take the gift, turn away, not say anything. We don't want God to save us and go on like nothing happened. We don't want God to show himself to us and not worship him. So what does that mean? God did not reveal himself just so they would know in their minds facts. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, and Jacob filed it in his brain. He's got another fact about God. It went further than that. It went from his brain into his heart. And he realized the gratitude, the awesomeness of seeing and knowing an almighty God. And he worshiped. We, just, we don't want to just know, do we? I don't. I don't want to go outside and see the creation, see the trees, open up the Bible and read about Jesus Christ and let it go one more chapter without worshiping. I want to worship God just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I want to worship. He's made a way, hasn't he? God made a way for us to worship and I don't want to leave it undone. Let's turn to one more passage. Let's look at this in the New Testament in Hebrews. Maybe this will help. Hebrews 13. Let's read part of verse 10 and then we'll jump down to verse 15. Hebrews 13.10 We have an altar. We have an altar. From which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And jump down to 15. Through him, as Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We have an altar. Not, we have this perfect offering and this perfect offerer, Jesus Christ, and he washed our sin, but that's not the only offering. We're cleansed, we're saved, we're changed so that we can continue to bring offerings. He's not only the offering, he's the offerer, he's the altar. He's the thing through which we can offer up our praises to God. 
We want to praise God. We, we don't make altars. I'm not calling you to go out in your backyard and pick up some stones and kill an animal every day to praise God. We, we don't do that. Why? We already have an altar. That was the shadow. We have the reality. The reality is Jesus Christ. He's the connection. He's the ladder that goes from earth to heaven. The connection between heaven and earth. We can praise Him anywhere. We've got this spiritual altar. We offer spiritual sacrifices. And what does God say? Let us do it continually. Let's offer up continually the sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So here we are. You and me. What if God wrote our life down? Just like He did Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. How many altars would there be? How many things in our life, good things, bad things, hard things, promises that aren't fulfilled yet, promises that God's working towards, God just speaking to you and saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I don't want to leave one of those without an altar there. I don't want to go. I don't want to forget to offer up to God praise. God, praise you. Praise you for who you are. Praise you that you that I know you at all. Praise you for saving me. Praise you for coming to me. Praise you, God. Let me read you a little quote here from David Peterson. Is this book that is really good. It's a biblical theology of worship. It's called Engaging with God. And he brings out this point, that point that we've been talking about, that worship is a response to the action of the living God. The Bible tells us that God must draw us into relationship with Himself before we can respond to Him acceptably. In the New Testament, worship theology is intimately connected with the New Covenant. Acceptable worship under both covenants is a matter of responding to God's initiative in salvation and revelation and doing so in the way that He requires In particular, we need to take seriously the extraordinary biblical perspective that acceptable worship is something made possible for us by God. God, God is the one that started it. We're not coming to God because we thought it up. We're coming to God because He came to us. It's amazing. So let's just take a second here and just think, how does this apply to me this week? What was different this week if I believe this? What's different this week? Well, one, we could just beg God, God, I don't want to be one of the people that hears from you and goes on, keeps going on. I mean, think about the New Testament. Jesus, remember when Jesus says standing there right before the Jewish leaders and he says he says that they don't know the father he said his form you have never seen his voice you've never heard think about that 
Jesus is standing before them and he's talking to them and he's saying, you've never heard the voice. You've never seen God. And yet there's God standing right there before him. Totally the opposite of what he says later on. He says, it, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. One of them, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To the other one, he says, I'm standing right before you and you've never heard God's voice. You've never seen his form. Who's the one saying that? God. The image of the Father standing right there and they said, I never heard it. They never worshiped, did they? Remember that? Remember, think about this. Remember in John 13, Jesus heals the man that was blind. You remember that story? He heals the man that was blind. What's the whole purpose of that sign? Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but in the end, the purpose of the sign was the man who was blind bows down and worships Jesus. And the Pharisees are standing there and Jesus says, I came so that the blind may see. What was the sign about? If you're blind and Jesus makes you see, what are you going to do? You're going to worship him. And then there's these other people standing back, not worshiping. And what does he say to them? They ask him, are we blind? And he said, if you said you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But because you say that we're not blind, that you can see you're guilty. He tells them they are blind. We don't want to encounter God and be blind. What is it to be blind? To not worship him. To not respond. There he is in front of you. He's talking to you. And what happens? You don't respond. You don't worship. You don't bow down. That's what it is to be blind. We can beg God, God, make me sensitive. When I walk outside and I see who you are because of the creation, how wonderful it is, how awesome your eternal power, your glory manifested, don't let me not respond, God. Prick me. Remind me. You're here. I don't want to be in the presence of God and forget. I'm I'm here with God. God's here with me. You kneel down at your couch in the morning and you pray and God's there with you. Ask Him, please, Lord, don't let me, don't let this slip past without me responding. I want, you're here with me. I want to respond back in praise. Difficult things in your life, difficult things are going to happen this week. Maybe you just look at that verse. I will be with you. I will not leave you until I've accomplished all that I've promised. And ask God, please make it real. I want to worship you. You're so near. You're so real. Don't let it, don't let it slip by me without my notice. I want to bow down. I want to offer the spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. He's my altar. He made a way. Don't let it slip my notice. Let's just pray together here and ask the Lord that he would do it for us Lord here we are and we just want to confess forgive us Lord for all the times where you did slip our notice and we heard from you and it didn't go all the way to worship it stopped maybe even with obedience Lord we don't want to stop just at obeying we want to go on we want to move we want to do what you asked and we want to worship you both. Please help us. Lord, uh, difficult things, all the prayer requests this morning, difficult, heavy trials, please 
Please help us. Would you, would you meet with us in a surprising way just like you did here so many times that we might worship you and proclaim your name? Lord, we want our hearts to be prepared. Would you tune our heart to sing your praise? We want our tongues to be pens like a ready scribe, and we need you to do it, Lord. We just confess we can't. Lord, this is what we just spent 30 minutes talking about is that we can't do it on our own. You've got to come and you've got to do something and you've got to be near. And we're asking you to do that so that we can worship you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit, but please be near to us this week. Would you come in to our lives, invade our lives? Amen.